morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, Jordan Curry in the back has some, and he is walking down the aisle, so slip up your hand, and he will he'll get you a copy of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we'll read, and we will read uh, the entire chapter together. If you are with the threes and fours class, you're welcome to be dismissed to your class if you haven't already. We have been journeying through uh, the book of Proverbs, and we are really hitting stride right now. Uh, took us a while to get through chapter 1 to sort of introduce us to the book, and now uh, we are taking, uh, at least for these last couple sermons, whole chapters at a time. And so our aim is to uh, work our way through the entirety of Proverbs chapter 4, and we turn to another lecture from a father to uh, his son. So as we're working through Proverbs, you hear multiple voices. Uh, at one point, we heard the voice of Lady Wisdom crying out into the street. Now, the, the scene is, as it is over and over again throughout the first nine chapters of Proverbs, a father speaking to his son about the way he should go. And so there's going to be some overlap from the message last week, but some unique nuances as the father drives home some, some different emphases. And so we're going to read the whole chapter, and as we read... To look for repeated themes, repeated words, and unique emphases that kind of build upon our understanding of wisdom that has been, uh, the foundation has been laid in the previous three chapters. And so starting with verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the, the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She'll keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. She'll place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk... Your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they've had made some, someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, but the path of righteous, the righteous, is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. 
My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you, and let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray together for understanding. Thank you, Father, that you are a father who instructs his children. And we pray that you would instruct us now. Help us to understand these words that you inspired and preserved for us. And God, help us to uh, listen to the wisdom of this text, to all the benefits of uh, the wisdom in this text. And Father, we pray that, that through one more sermon, uh, that you would help us to hold on a little longer to the things that we know are true and to keep taking step by step by step uh, down the narrow way uh, to our final resting place with you, Father. We pray, uh, use this uh, in our lives, uh, open the eyes of the blind, um, comfort the, the hearts of the sin-stricken, the struggling, the self-reliant, Father, we pray. Use this words to confront all those things for our good and for your glory. We pray this by your grace alone and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this text is something we've noticed about the Proverbs already, and it is the format by which God's wisdom is spreading through God's kingdom. The book of Proverbs is a book about God's wisdom. That is how to live knowing God and living God's way in God's world. The way we've been defining wisdom is knowing God, knowing how to live in God's world, God's way. But the Proverbs describe for us not only the ideals for human flourishing in the kingdom of God. They don't just describe for us the wisdom. They are things to not only be learned in the Proverbs, but we also learn from the format in which they are taught in the Proverbs. We learn wisdom in the Proverbs. We also learn how to learn wisdom and how to pass wisdom on. So look at the progression in verses 1 through 4. There's a progression here that hasn't been uh, articulated this way before. Verse 1, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. So we have two generations represented here. Father speaking to his son. Then verse 3, father says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me. He said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. There's a progression here. The father is instructing the son, not just from a lifetime of experience, not just from having studied the word himself, but the father's instructing the son, having been instructed by his father. We are introduced in Proverbs chapter 4 to the voice of a grandfather, right? 
There's something about grandfather wisdom. If you've ever sat with your grandfather, if you've had that blessing or that opportunity in your life, there's something about grandfather's wisdom. He's lived a long time, seen the Lord do many things. We're introduced to this voice and this progression here that represents God's plan for expanding his kingdom on earth. And a progression here that models for us how we get and give wisdom. This leads us to truth number one. Truth number one, God's wisdom spreads through the ministry of discipleship. The father instructs the child that will hopefully one day instruct their child. I was sitting with Owen this morning, and he asked me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm working on my sermon. I said, you know what it's about? And he said, no. And I said, it's, it's about how I'm supposed to teach you so that one day you would teach your kids. His eyes got real big. He's not ready for kids yet. <laughs> but this is the progression as far as like how wisdom makes it from, from one starting point place to a lot of places. No one's born with knowledge of God. No one's born with the wisdom of God. Children must learn. They will only learn if they are taught. God's aim for their learning is that it would come through our teaching. Now, parenthood, though it doesn't always feel like glorious work, it is glorious work that reflects the work of God in heaven. We provide to our children what they need and what They could not have unless we provide it, just as God provides for us what we need and what only He can provide for us. And as we disciple them, we learn love. We learn about God's work in us. We reflect God's work in us. We accomplish the work of God uh, that He's given us to accomplish. We glorify God by molding more image bearers to reflect His goodness to the world. It's the commission that goes all the way back to Genesis. And Proverbs showcases this process of passing wisdom down. Because King Solomon, in writing much of the Proverbs, knew that Israelite society would continue to glorify the one true God, and the starting place was in the household. He knew that this was the mission. It started in the homes of every Israelite family. And somebody just pause here and just ask of those with families, with households, let me ask you to do a little home analysis. If the flourishing of God's kingdom in St. Rose, Louisiana, for the next generation, depended on the kind of wisdom that was being modeled and taught in your household, would the future of St. Rose look more or less like the kingdom of God? If, if God's aim is to expand the kingdom, and this is one of the launching pads for wisdom being passed to those do not, who do not have it. As you analyze your own household, would it be a good starting spot for the spread of the kingdom of God? Solomon knew that it started in the homes of every Israelite family, but he also knew that's not where it stayed. The process here in Proverbs of passing down wisdom through the tender presence and clear teaching of God's word is the very same process that God has called every Christian to. Jesus himself did not have biological children during his ministry on earth. Does that mean that he somehow lived a less full human life? Does that mean that he was not a conduit of 
the kingdom-expanding, wisdom-distributing mission of God Almighty. No, he, he wasn't a parrot in the physical, conventional sense. But Jesus modeled the process found here in Proverbs. He modeled it with his disciples. I mean, he was tenderly present with his disciples, teaching and warning and exhorting and ultimately preparing them to do with others exactly what he was doing with them. He was expanding the kingdom by spreading the eternal wisdom of God's word to and through others. When we think of Jesus, we tend to think of his big moments like the Sermon on the Mount or his big moments like the feeding the 5,000. But most of his moments, and you could argue even his most significant moments, were sitting around a fire with 12 guys. Some of his most significant teaching was along the way as they walked from one city to the next. Some of the the moments that stick with us the most about humility and some of the moments that that are recorded for us and we, we, we rest in these parables of Jesus, they were spoken to like a handful of people that were just living life with Jesus every day. See, the Proverbs say this, the Proverbs say uh, that, that the Father was with him tenderly and taught him to keep the commandments and life. And Jesus gives this command, Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The commission of Matthew 28 is a reiteration of the mission of Proverbs. (laughs) We are called to be wisdom distributors. We're called to the ministry of discipleship, not only in the ministry of child raising, but in everyday disciple making. Paul the Apostle, we're not told of his, his parenthood, of a biological child, what we're, talked, what we're told in uh, Paul's ministry and life is the way in which he discipled the church in Thessalonica. Listen to the way he's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Again in verse 11, You know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is normal, everyday Christianity. I mean, this is what we're doing here this morning. This is what I hope you're doing in the conversations before and after church. This is what I hope your days are full of. I hope your days are full of you living out the mission of being a wisdom distributor, a a spiritual child raiser, an image of God multiplier, starting here and moving to the ends of the earth. But let me ask you a question. Perhaps an easy question to answer, perhaps a hard question to answer. Is there anyone on the planet who can say about you what the Thessalonians could say about Paul? Have you been a spiritual mother or father to anyone in the last 10 years? Have you 
taught someone the words and wisdom of God? Is there anyone on the planet having conversations somewhere, either in this church or somewhere else, where they're saying, I grew spiritually because of the intentional and tender presence of you? Is anyone talking about you in that way? I'm where I am today because of them. Because they were with me and they spoke the word to me day in and day out. If so, if, if you're thinking of people right now, I think they would say that about me. Praise God. That's not because you're awesome. That's a gift of grace. That's a gift of grace that God Almighty would invite you to participate in the most important mission in the cosmos, that he would say, hey, would you help me make more image bearers of myself? Not that he needed your help, but invited you in to participate in that mission. Praise God if that question could be answered. If you can't answer that question, you can't think of one person who might even think that over the last 10 years, take a hard look at your life, your priorities, your understanding of what Scripture calls you to as a Christian person, what the mission is of a church, of a person. This is our calling, right? This is the glorious mission of God in the universe that we cultivate image bearers of God to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. This is what it means when Jesus says, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's, it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. We make it sound and feel hard, and we create a mountain in front of us that, that we don't know what God's will is for our life. But if we just simply look around with prayerful eyes for people who could use some help understanding and applying what God has said, if we just invest a little bit of time into relationships and, and inviting them to discuss the Word together, inviting them to apply the Word to their lives and our lives. It's not complicated. Is it messy? Absolutely. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it's too complicated. It's simple but hard. Paul gives the responsibility to every Christian in the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. If you're a Christian, you're called to be a learner, a receiver, and a teacher and a distributor of wisdom. A parent in the faith to others, and what a blessing it is that God's wisdom spreads in this way. Now, we see this process occurring throughout Proverbs over and over again, just modeling for us what it looks like. But how is the father discipling his son, particularly in this chapter? What are some of the unique things that we haven't seen already or we haven't seen this spelled out? What aspect of wisdom is he highlighting? In chapters 1 through 3, we've already seen uh, this teaching on the value of wisdom. God's word is precious, treasure it. It's better than silver. It's better than gold. We've seen the, the highlighting of, of this pursuit of God's wisdom. It's not just going to fall from heaven and hit you in the head. Like You have to go for it. Your, your tendency, your disposition is to reject it and to go to the wrong voice, not the right voice. We've seen all these things, but in this chapter, I think there's a new nuance, not on the attaining wisdom for the first time, but on the persevering in wisdom for the long term. Truth number two that I think we'll see in this text is this, wisdom requires perseverance. 
notice the language of this proverb is not so much about getting wisdom, but it's about keeping it. So look at verse 4. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words and keep my commandments and live. The language of holding fast here paints this picture of you grasping to something tightly. You think of a situation where it's very important for you to hold on tightly to something. So have you ever been uh, skiing behind a boat, right? Uh, Other than keeping your balance and navigating the waves, one of the most important things is that you hold on tightly. It's your holding on that keeps you from plummeting into the water in a way that you would not like to. But as time goes on and you hit rough water or you start to get a little tired, the, the grip begins to loosen, your hands grow weary, and that's why you hit your face. The father is urging the son to grasp something with all his might, no matter what may come along the path. He wants his son to grasp the words, to hold fast words and commandments he's been taught from the beginning. He says the same thing in verse 13. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Again, the emphasis holding on to instruction, but this time he adds another verb, guard it, protect it. Now, why do you guard something unless you know that that something is going to be under attack, right? Hold on to it tightly. Why encourage that unless you're tempted to drop it or to let it go, to grab something else? The father knows that the son will need to protect and guard the wisdom that he has received. He knows the son will need to learn his words, yes, but hold on to his words as if enemy forces will invade to try to take them. Now, this is certainly true for every disciple of Jesus. The spiritual war we fight on a daily basis is not so much a physical war for most of us. The spiritual war we fight on a daily basis is a war of words, whether spoken or thought. Every day, we wage war against words, sometimes the ones in our brains. (laughs) Which ones are we going to believe? Which ones are we going to hold on to? Which ones are we going to remember? Which ones are we going to deflect off as false words? I feel this. I I know this personally. There were certain things in God's Word, even in the beginning of my own personal ministry, that I was overwhelmingly passionate about in the early days of pastoral ministry. There was a pure, undefiled zeal that marked my ministry and my preaching, and I thought those convictions were a kind of untouchable grasp of God's Word. I would never loosen my grip on my passion for these things. But over years... Your hands get tired of holding on, even of grasping some of the most fundamental convictions, and you think it'd actually be easier for me just to let go here. I think this is true for every Christian. There's got to be an active struggle to remember what our souls tend to forget. We persevere as Christians by remembering, by actively fighting to remember. 
verse, verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away. Verse 6, do not forsake her. Verse 21, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. King Solomon knew something. He knew that forgetfulness was a devastating trait of the people of God. He knew this because he knew Israelite history, and he knew this because he knew his own heart. Even after having seen God and do such incredible works, delivering the people from from slavery in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, following the presence of God by pillar of smoke and fire. Even after all that, the primary message of Deuteronomy that Moses preaches over and over again. Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' sermons. He's preaching over and over again. Verse, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Take care. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that, they, that they, I may let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me all the days and live on earth, that they may teach their children. So, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Man, how this could be taught in the American church, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes, which I command you to do, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. King Solomon knew That Israel had been quick to forget. But even with all of that knowledge, Solomon himself would do the same. I mean, Solomon walked the path that Israel had walked. A beautiful beginning and a rough ending. He himself, with all his teaching, did not keep his heart with all vigilance. And he let his affections grow for all the wrong things. And he abandoned the covenant with God. Solomon's example in Scripture stands as a warning sign to all generations, no matter the depth of wisdom in God's Word that you attain, the fight is to keep it till the end. It is to persevere. Now, let me, let me pause here and just ask you for a moment. You need this exercise. Everyone in the room needs this exercise if you're a Christian. Do you remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? Like, Do, do you remember when you heard the big story of the Bible for the first time and you really understood what God's been doing from Genesis to Revelation? Do you you remember that season? Maybe not a moment, but that season. The hunger you felt and the thirst you felt. Do you remember when you, do you remember leading someone to Christ or seeing darkened eyes open to the truth of the gospel for the very first time? See, it's a matter of remembering your first love. It's a matter of perseverance and holding on to the truth we once knew. And it's not just our minds we fight for, it's more specifically our hearts. I mean, look at verse 23. Look at the emphasis here. He's not just saying, remember facts, remember facts, don't lose the facts. I I, I remember the facts better. (laughs) 
Verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. We, we persevere by paying close attention to our hearts, not just our minds. We persevere by paying close attention to what brings us joy. We, we pay close attention to where our affections are being stirred. It's, it's what the church in Revelation was warned about by, by Jesus himself in Revelation 2.4. I have this against you that you abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. We will inevitably deviate from the path unless we keep our hearts with vigilance. As we look at the Proverbs here, we consider uh, an analogy or a particular way in which it describes a journey with a destination in mind. We, we, we are all traveling a path with a prize at the end of the path, a goal at the end of the journey. As with other section in Proverbs, it uses this language like way or path or stumble. See verses, verses uh, 25 through 27. 25 through, through 27 says this, uh, let your eyes look directly forward your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Now there's some important uh, keys to perseverance here. He's urging his son to remember. Perhaps you are here this morning and you feel like your grip is loosening on the truth you once loved. Perhaps you're here and you feel very strong temptations to swerve off the path. Um, I don't know where Drew heard this, but one helpful thing that Drew often says is we're talking about service planning or uh, uh, sermon writing. Uh, Drew often says that everyone in the room is struggling with either sin, suffering, or self-reliance, or sometimes a mixture of all three. <laughs> there's there's not, a, not a person in the room that isn't struggling with some version of sin, self-reliance, uh, or, or suffering. And so so how do you persevere in godly wisdom when these types of things confront you along the path? Some form of sin, when sin causes you to swerve or self-reliance causes you to deviate on the path you think is better or suffering causes you to stumble, what's the advice of this text? What do we do? Well, according to this analogy, persevering wisdom, what it does, it constantly looks to the most ultimate goal of our faith. Persevering wisdom keeps the eyes on the path forward. It, it actively ponders the path. The fight for the Christian faith on life's very long journey at times is a fight to keep our eyes fixed on the right prize, the right direction. We don't, we don't walk lackadaisical as Christians expecting that nothing's going to distract me. Nothing's going to cause me to stumble. No, no, no. We, we regularly, daily, weekly, we give thought to the path we're on and the direction that we are ultimately going. Aware of pitfalls, distractions, and temptations, we keep our eyes on the prize. And Christian, there's a glorious prize. I think I, I'm convinced that most of your sinning is because of your lack of appreciation for the gloriousness of the prize before you. 
As we look in Proverbs, there are glimpses of that reward and how much more precious following wisdom is than not, but it's the fullness of that reward. We trek on down the path every day, and this leads us to, to truth number three we see scattered throughout this text is this. There is an eternal reward in wisdom's embrace. There is an eternal reward in wisdom's embrace. I just want you to notice what, what the Father uses to motivate the Son to persevere here, to keep hold of wisdom. I want you to notice how we're urged to hold on to wisdom, but I want you to notice how wisdom itself is not described as an impersonal thing in this particular section. Check this out. As we hold on to wisdom, wisdom in turn holds on to us. Look at verse 6. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Verse 8, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Look at verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, and, and for from it flows the springs of life. You see, throughout the Proverbs, we see God's wisdom being personified as a someone. Someone who will protect us, exalt us, honor us, embrace us, and according to this text, bestow a crown on us. To embrace God's words of wisdom is to embrace, according to this text, true life, abundant life. To embrace it is healing to the soul, so much so that springs of life will flow from your heart. Now, now just, just that phrase alone, your mind, if you're f- familiar with the gospel's teaching, your mind should, should go to something springing from my heart, life. What, where, did, where have I heard that before? We've heard it on the lips of Jesus. I mean, Jesus claims to be the one whom you should embrace so springs of life flow from your heart. I mean, look at John chapter 7 uh, on the screen. Jesus stands up at the feast And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, the the Proverbs is all about the necessity of embracing God's wisdom. And the Proverbs uses these analogies and word pictures to help us understand God's wisdom as a lady calling out in the streets or a tender father instructing his son. But it's the gospel's In the Gospels, we're introduced to wisdom in the flesh. That wisdom among us. Jesus, in the Gospels, is the embodiment of God's wisdom. Everything we're supposed to pursue in our daily lives, we model after Jesus. He's he's our model and he's our source of all of wisdom's rewards. The Proverbs tell us to keep our eyes on the straight path. Jesus says... I'm the way. (laughs) I am the path and the destination. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Proverbs says that wisdom will crown us if we embrace her. The apostles say that it will be Jesus who crowns us on the last day. 1 Peter 5, 4 says that when the chief shepherds appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. In other words, blessed is the man who perseveres, right? For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Proverbs tell us to embrace wisdom, is to embrace healing for our flesh. Peter tells us that to embrace Jesus is to embrace an eternal healing made possible only by the tearing of his flesh. 1 Peter 2, 24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed. Church family, there is eternal reward in wisdom's embrace. And that is true of every single word of God's wisdom revealed to us in Scripture. But that is especially true of the word of God's wisdom revealed to us in Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the perfectly straight path until his dying breath. Who not only walked a perfectly straight path, path, but then who purchased for us the way into God's presence by dying the fool's death. And so when we, we, we turn our eyes to him, we persevere through the treacherous path called life. And we get closer, we get a little closer to wisdom's reward every day. And this is where I want to close on. Uh, verse 18 is tucked away in here that speaks of this journey of wisdom and this final reward that we have in wisdom. And I hope it is as much of an encouragement to you as it was to me this week as I considered its reality. Look at verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Now, this is in contrast to the, the path of destruction, which the Proverbs describe as the path of darkness, where you're stumbling over stuff and you don't even know what you're stumbling over. You're just falling over yourself constantly and you don't even know what direction you're going. You know what the end is? You're just running around hoping you make progress, falling all over, all over the place in the pitch black dark. The, the alternative is the path of righteousness which, like the light of dawn, shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Solomon likes, likens our journey like a long walk that begins on a dark path. We can see the path in front of us because we're walking toward the little light that we see slowly coming up the horizon. The picture is, it's as, as, if, we see, as, is, as if we see ever so slightly the light of the sun rising in the east and we're walking on the narrow path toward the light. And as we begin, it's, it's dark all around, but we see enough to progress. And as we keep going, the light gets a little brighter with every step, and with every passing moment, we see a little clearer than we did the last few steps, until finally, at some point, the sun shows itself in fullness of day, and the once dark and treacherous path is no longer a path of stumbling. There are no more enemies to lurk in the darkness because the sun is shining in its fullness. Know that the sun's light has chased away all those dangers and you're free to walk in the fullness of its light. Now, it's that future light that we keep our eyes fixed on so we do not stumble, we do not swerve, we, we hold tightly to the words of the promise, we refuse to forget what, what lies at the end of the path, we press forward toward the light of Christ, 
promises, and one day the sun will rise fully over us. I, I, I want to close with these words uh, from Pastor Ray Ortland's commentary on this verse. This is what he says. He says, there might be only a glimmer of light on your horizon right now, but the sun is rising, the darkness cannot stop it, and Christ will bring his good work in you to noonday brilliance. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That bright gospel confidence is how you keep going step by step, moment by moment, on the right path. God's wisdom spreads through the ministry of discipleship, and it's only through the ministry of discipleship in our life, in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of our neighbors, that people will have wisdom in the first place, and that wisdom will have the perseverance it takes to hold on till the end. God's wisdom spreads through the ministry of discipleship. Wisdom requires perseverance, and what we keep pointing people to as we disciple them is not a big, long list of rules to get them lined up into shape. No, 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 we, we, we paint the picture of the prize, and we say it's worth it in the end. There's an eternal reward in wisdom's embrace. In every chapter in Proverbs, there's two choices. The path of foolishness, which is a dark path, or the path of the wise, which is a path in which the sun rises until the noonday brilliance. And now that Christ has come, the choice between those paths is really clear. Trust Jesus to be the path and the destination, or don't. The wise path is following wisdom incarnate, Jesus himself. So let's pray that we would do so and hold all the more tightly. Lord, we, we come and we thank you for Proverbs chapter 4, for the promises of this text. Help us to hold them tightly. Help us to remember our first love. Help us to heed the wisdom and instruction of this text. Help us to be the kinds of people who are always distributing it in the lives of others, Lord. Use this text uh, to help us take a few more steps in the direction of the rising sun, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.